You know, it's more about what structures do I need to create? What facilitation am I here to bring so that they can be unleashed? Like two words I started traveling with at the beginning of last year, I think it was, was equipped and empowered. And that was for bookwifery. I wanted them to be equipped and empowered so they weren't dependent on me so much. And I'm realizing that's what I want here in the lighthouse too, was for them to just have what they need to be unleashed and do that for one another. And my call is to do something else with them. Different kinds of businesses require different skills. Okay, maybe that seems obvious, but hear me out. I'm not talking about the skills that you offer as a product or service. I'm talking about the skills that you use to actually build and operate the business itself. Learning how to run a wholesale product business is different than learning how to run a creative agency, is different than learning how to run a training company, is different than learning how to run a digital products business, is different than learning how to run a software as a service business. Now, there is plenty of overlap. There are plenty of foundational concepts and skills that are key to each of these different models. And there are plenty of ways to creatively use the skills from one business model in another. But when it comes to the specific craft of building a particular type of company, that is its own unique skill set. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that takes you behind the scenes to explore how small business owners are building stronger businesses. This month, we're taking a closer look at how entrepreneurs level up their skills to build more effective and profitable businesses. I've been reminded just how specific the skills required to build a certain business model can be at least twice in recent memory. Now, most recently, I've been learning the ins and outs of building a productized service business and creative agency model as we grow our podcast production company, Yellow House Media. I had to reacquaint myself with retainer pricing, writing proposals, and managing projects, as well as helping clients navigate the ups and downs of birthing something as big as a podcast. A few years ago, though, I pivoted my coaching and training company into a community-based business. I've spent the last few years unlearning the expert marketing and product development model my business was originally based on and learning a new skill set around subscription pricing, retention, and community building. And it's been a ride. I had to rethink how we create value and what that value even is. I had to take a fresh approach to how we market and sell, and I had to reconsider what leadership looks like in a peer-to-peer support community. This year, both as predicted and rushed along by the pandemic, we've seen a wave of new community-based businesses, and lots of people are learning just how different this skill set is. I wanted to talk with someone else who has experienced this shift firsthand, and I was thrilled when Christiane Squires agreed to share her story. Christiane is the founder of The Lighthouse and formerly Book Whiffery. You're going to hear all about these two businesses and what makes them different from each other over the course of this conversation. You'll also hear how Christiane has been nurturing her skills as a community builder and how that's pushed her to rethink how she creates value what her people need from her, and what her role is in the community. Plus, we talk about a bonus skill, discernment. Now, let's find out what works for Christiane Squires. 
Christiane Squires. Welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so thrilled to be here, Tara. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Well, I am thrilled to talk about this topic. We are going to talk about the skill of community building. It's something I have been working on for the last few years. It's something you've been working on for the last few or couple of years. Two to three. And yeah. Yeah. And I am really stoked to geek out about this with you. But before we can get there, let's talk about sort of the genesis of why you needed to learn community building in the first place, or at least why it kind of bubbled up to the surface for you. Let's talk about the Lighthouse community. Why did you start the Lighthouse? Okay. So I started the Lighthouse. um, I should say I didn't see it coming. Um, I had a previous business called Bookwifery that was all about book birthing. Um, so helping authors birth their books into the world. I have 20 years of experience in the publishing industry and, um, and an editorial. And so I was doing that going along fine. I started that business in 2016 and it was probably October of 2018 that I started and I had, I had inserted a community into the bookwifery experience for my authors that I was working with. And that's a whole Genesis story that I can tell you a little bit more about, about going from like basically realizing that people valued the community experience of bookwifery at least as much as, if not more than the actual program that I was walking them through. And that was, it blew my mind. It kind of humbled me a little bit. Um, I've always been a DIY kind of lone ranger kind of person for the things that I'm trying to get done in the world. So I, I didn't think people were going to need the community. They, they ended up loving it, if not more (laughs) than the actual program. So that was going on. I was learning a lot from that. But then it was October 2018 that I started realizing that I wanted to be having conversations with people outside of the book industry, the book conversation. I I was noticing like how lit up I would get talking to folks like on Instagram that were probably never going to have a book in their life. Um, They had no interest in it or it just wasn't the path for them. Like they weren't a writer or whatever. And I found like, I didn't care, but I did care about them figuring out what is their path? What, what expression does that take in the world? How do they know what's right for them or not? Um, and, and helping like nurture that further into being. And it made me realize too, like going back to like elementary school, these were the kinds of things I was curious about with people, <laughs> whether it was adults in my life or kids on the playground kind of thing. And um, so I had already identified with bookwifery that I was helping contemplative leaders, that those were the authors that I worked with. They were contemplative leaders and that the kinds of books they were bringing into the world like when I started kind of going down in my mind, the catalog of subject matter and who these people were that I was working with, I just, there was this, this experience of feeling like I was getting kind of blinded by light. And so I had already worked that light language into my target audience kind of approach with bookwifery earlier that year. And then when I was realizing like, this for me is about more than books. It's not, it that's that's totally like ancillary to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um then then this kind of other image came for me, which was this, it had kind of like this mental picture of a house and it was glowing from the inside. And there were all these little lights, like tea lights, almost like streaming to the door. And it was like this sense of like a bunch of people gathering in this house that have light in them. And I realized like, like that image just like kept traveling with, I, I talk about images a lot. You might, you, you might hear me talk about that a few different ways today. And it, 
probably makes me sound weird, but that's all right. <laughs> this is no, my actually, weird. I'm claiming okay. it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Weird. Um, okay, so I actually want to pause and go a bit off topic right okay. there because I'm I'm very interested in this, and I think our listeners would be interested in this as well. So you said contemplative leaders, and mm-hmm. I have a I think I have a fairly good understanding of what that means. Um, but you also have a you have a contemplative practice, yes. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say that. Okay, is your thinking in images are these images coming to you as part of that practice and can you describe that yeah yeah <laughs> okay i didn't think we were going to pause and talk about this i'm happy to Me neither, I just, but, you i'm know. very aware that this is a this is a way i feel like an oddball in the world sometimes but um yeah so being a contemplative when i talk about that it it's kind of like a posture toward life it's also usually connected to a spiritual orientation um most faith traditions have some like contemplative stream and the contemplatives tend to be folks who value silence value pause um value noticing looking deeper into things and for me a lot of my contemplative practice is about discernment and so for me discernment can look a lot of different ways for people um my particular brand of discernment i guess you could say is um often happens in these like prayer images i literally do nothing to bring them they just come And I guess you could say I pray with them for long periods of time for like six months or two years. I can be journeying with an image when I when I go to have my quote unquote prayer time. I'm usually like entering into that image in my imagination and I'm sitting with it and I'm noticing what's happening and I'm, you know, talking with it in a way. And it helps me with my discernment around the things that I'm bringing to the image in the prayer time about like that I'm wrestling with. So I know it probably sounds strange, but it's, it's super helpful for me to know where to go with decisions I'm making. Um, okay. I don't think it sounds weird at all. I think it's <laughs> fascinating. Um, and I, I also appreciate the, the religious studies weirdo in me, uh, appreciates Ooh. you pointing out that this isn't like a distinctly Christian practice. This is there is this is exists in all sorts of faith traditions. Yeah. Um, when you say you are sitting with an image, you're praying with an image. Can you like, what does that sound like in your head? Does it sound like anything in your head? Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I will say, by the way, like most, like someone who identifies as a contemplative may not have this practice at all in terms sure. of playing with images. Okay. So this is something that has happened for me for about 20 years now is when it started. Um, a lot of, so, okay. Um, one time in a prayer image, I had something in my hand. It was like a, a like a, a shell that was like really spiky. And I was noticing that that's kind of, it was kind of, um, looked like how I was feeling inside. And so I was noticing the spikiness. I was paying attention to its texture. I was moving it around in my hand. I was trying to figure out what it might have to say to me and what I would say back to it. That's one example of like talking to something, but more often because I'm, I'm come from the contemplative Christian spirituality, um, you know, the image of Christ or the person of Christ is like part of that for me. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of times in my prayer images, the person of Christ is there and we're walking in a scene and I'm talking to him and I'm hearing him say things to me. And, you know, obviously language for God is like so limited. Um, and also gendered language for God is so limited, but 
that's the form it takes in my prayer. Um, and so, so there's, there's kind of like actual dialogue usually going on with these images that I'm traveling with or these scenes and, and this person. Um, but the lighthouse one was like, I just was seeing this image. I was, I kept, I kept looking at it in my imagination and just like, what is this? What's the invitation here? Am I being invited to do something with this? It's, it won't go away. It's, it is exciting me. I'm curious about it. And so I felt like I had to kind of follow it. So I decided to start a Mighty Network alongside my other Mighty Network that I had for Bookwifery. So I had the Bookwifery Collective. And then I was starting this separate Mighty Network called The Lighthouse. Didn't fully know what it was going to be. I invited uh, 30 to 40 people to just join me as founding members. And we started the journey. So that was in I got the image in October 2018. And it wasn't until June 2019 that I started the community. Okay. Awesome. That's a super helpful timeline. And thank you also for <laughs> indulging my very nosy question. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> about your pra prayer practice. Um, but I think it's really, I think it's helpful to kind of see how these things take shape. Because I think for everybody, everyone has a different approach. Everyone has yeah. a different way of like, yes, finding a discernment. I've, oh man, I freaking love that word. It's a word that I come back to over and over and over again, sometimes in a more religious capacity, sometimes in a more secular capacity. Mm -hmm. I just love that word. And I mm -hmm. love, thank, so thank you. I am yeah. so grateful for you describing oh, that. Well, and I love that you're even responding that way because it's the word, I mean, it's the thing, it's my favorite topic. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I, I say that to people all the time, like, oh, my gosh, we're gonna talk about my favorite thing, which is discernment. And probably the most used phrase in my life is, oh, that's a discernment question, you know, and and mm -hmm. so I'm also a trained spiritual director. And I, you know, oh, okay. have done that work for like 10 years. And so that informed how I approached my work at Bookwifery. It also is very much about what I'm doing at Lighthouse as well. But, you know, it's so exciting to me to help people find their way of discernment. You know, I, I find that it's, it's like people, it's almost like a, a, a fingerprint. Like you, you can find what is your way. Like I've had people tell me over the years, like, I wish that I could pray with images like you do. How do I do that? And I'm like, I don't even know how to tell you how it just happens. And, but I will bring the question back to them and say, well, what do you notice about your own experience of discernment? Like, like revisiting past experiences in your life to notice the places where you had to make a decision. What helped you know what your yes looked like? or felt like what helped you know what your no felt like or looked like and are there any patterns there that can help you learn what discernment looks like for you and that's a huge help you know going forward in your life that you can like tap back into that you know so oh. for me i mean there's multiple ways discernment looks like in my life but one of the major ways is these prayer images so when i'm in a place of discernment it's like i got to go visit my prayer image see what comes up I love it. Well, we just got a bonus skill in this episode. Fantastic. Okay, so let's get back to the community building yes. piece. Okay. <laughs> so you you set up the the second Mighty Network. Uh, the Lighthouse mm -hmm. got started with your thirty to forty founding members. Fantastic. When did you start to discern? Maybe mm -hmm. um, the community building was actually a skill that you mm. wanted to start nurturing and cultivating for yourself. Yeah, I think it was the starting of the second community of the lighthouse because when it happened with Book Whiffery, I started the company just in a one-on-one, -on -one, like hire me, I will be your book midwife. We will go from conception to delivery, you know, and be and into mm -hmm. the postnatal period um, with your book. And I 
loved doing that, but my capacity to do that with so many people was obviously finite. And so I then shifted to doing cohorts. I would do start dates with cohorts of authors that traveled together through the process and then eventually started the collective, which was all of them in there together, no matter where in the, you know, which trimester or whatever they were in. Um, and I felt like that unfolded really naturally. Um, I think my skills as a spiritual director helped, you know, I'm working with contemplative leaders. They already have kind of this stance of discernment, prayer, noticing, you know, making decisions not based on like the forces that are acting against them in the publishing industry that are, there's so many <laughs> forces, um, but what is the path and the invitation for them for that to look like? And so I felt like the community there, like just gradually started to happen very naturally. But once I was going to start a community that was solely a community model, not based on a program I had built that then we added community to, I was like, this is a whole different ballgame. What in the heck am I even doing? <laughs> so got it. Got it. Was there uh, was it was it just simply like, what in the heck am I even doing? Or were, were did you feel any particular like friction? Or were, was there any kind of question that was part of that? Yeah, I think the question I've traveled with the whole time the lighthouse has been going is who is this community for and what are we here to do together? Mm. Um, you know, I keep talking about book Wifery because it was like the jumping off point for me in realizing that that a community model is what I'm being invited to do now. I mean, I closed down book Wifery this past June. So it's like I'm all in on this lighthouse community now. So I felt like with book Wifery, there was a very clear who this is for, contemplative leaders who are called to write a book. And what we're here to do together is help you do that and walk you through the process of all the stages and the things that you have to get into place. And so when we would do community things together, it was always clear what we were there for. And we had the same posture and stance in the way that we were doing that. And there was this curriculum or program kind of underneath the whole thing that they all had that they were working from, a common language, all that kind of stuff. So... I think with the lighthouse, it felt like, like when I first started it, I was like, okay, I have this image of the house and I have the lights that are streaming into it. So basically my call out for the founder founding members was if this image like connects to you, if this language of light being, bringing your light into the world connects for you and you want to be part of this community as we figure it out together, like go, like you're in. And so it feels like the last 15 months of doing the lighthouse has been me realizing that the invitation now is much more specific than that. <laughs> it's mm. like, so it's been, um, and, and I, I mean, I can get into the nuts and bolts of like what we were doing in the community when it first started and how that's changed over time. I mean, I don't know how specific you want me to get. <laughs> You're going to hear what Christiane did to dig into learning community building skills in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks makes it easy to bring your community, courses, and content all together under one digital roof. Now, I've actually just set up a brand new Mighty Network for us, for our podcast production agency, Yellow House Media. And I've got to tell you, 
Wow, that was easy. The Mighty Networks team has taken out so much of the guesswork from getting a new network off the ground, and they flattened the learning curve when it comes to setting up your community for success. My new network walked me through choosing custom colors, copy, and images. I quickly customized my new member onboarding based on the pre-made templates, and then I set up conversation topics and recurring events. After that, I built out our podcasting course. It's just about ready to go, and I've only spent a short time on it. Before long, I'll be inviting new members to join us, easily supporting them in our discussion feed and helping them work through lessons in our courses. And of course, we'll be adding a whole new revenue stream to our production agency. Mighty Networks made it a piece of cake. What can Mighty Networks do for you and your business? Give Mighty Networks a try for free to see for yourself by going to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. What Works is also brought to you by The Commitment Blueprint. It's time to start thinking about what you want out of next year. Is this the year you launch a new line of business or is it the year you streamline and simplify? Is this going to be the year you get serious about writing a book or go all in on writing for social media? Is this the year you build out a team to support your vision? Or maybe is this the year you get back to basics and do it yourself? Every year presents us with its share of decisions to make, and making those decisions can be stressful and overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. Before you decide on what you want in 2021, make a commitment. The Commitment Blueprint is a unique system for guiding your life and business without setting specific goals. It's a process for flexible planning, task management, and personal accountability that gives you a fresh perspective on how you lead yourself and others to accomplish what's truly important to you. I'll be your guide for the Commitment Blueprint. We're live on December 7th, 8th, 14th, and 15th. I'll walk you through the system, give you time to do the work with me, and answer your questions over four 90-minute sessions. Plus, you'll get worksheets for brainstorming and processing, recordings of each session, and transcripts to review too. You'll even get our leadership dashboard, a done-for-you Notion template to help you turn your commitments into consistent action. Space in the Commitment Blueprint is limited. You can register now for December's live session. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash commitment. That's explorewhatworks.com slash commitment. Yeah. So, um, oh, so uh, (laughs) I'm really torn right now as to whether to like compare and contrast your building and building a community around a program experience versus building a community without a program experience, because I think it's a good way to look at what some of those community building skills are, or to dig into the specific things that you started to like what what were some of the resources and ideas that you started to gather um for community building actually i think we should go there let's talk about the resources where did you go to learn these skills and then we'll pull it back to the other piece yeah that sounds great um so 
some of the places I went were books. I mean, I would hear you talk about the art of gathering all the time. So I got that book. I got the art of community, um, white papers that I would run across online about membership models or community models and how that was working in business these days. Um, any podcast episode I could find on the topic I would listen to. Um, it's really hard to find places that are talking about this. So I, I think that that's growing. It's becoming mm -hmm. more of a normed model. Um, and then I, I signed up for and took the um, community design masterclass with Gina Bianchini in the Mighty Networks hosts community. And mm -hmm. I did their first offering of that. And all of that was really helpful and informed what I was doing with the Lighthouse. But I will tell you that what has most informed it has been looking really closely, paying close attention to what other communities community models are looking like. So, you know, really looking at what they were doing in the Mighty Networks host community. How were they running that community? What does what was working or not working for me about that? Um, really, you know, the What Works Network has been a place that I've learned a lot just by observing your and your team's evolution and things that you've tried. So looking at communities that I was either a part of or witnessing and evaluating that, doing a lot of analysis around that, and how could that translate into my audience and what we're trying to do. And then the other thing is just paying so much attention to my actual community and what was working, what wasn't working, what they were responding to. And I think this is where, you know, you said the, the, the other question of like, how does doing it in the book with style where you build a community mm -hmm. on top of a program and doing it, building one from scratch might be helpful because I feel like for me, a lot of what I realized was working about the book model, I could, that I really felt strongly that that needed to be components of the lighthouse community. And, and so I guess this has to do, I don't know that it's necessarily what would work for everyone, but it it's what I've learned is the type of community I'm being invited to build. And that is um, in the book with remodel, there were two main pillars of the actual community experience. Every Monday I would post something like the, the program was kind of built around your book, your voice, your audience. So those three pillars throughout each trimester of book pregnancy were things that we really nurtured and, and grew. And so it was like every week I would cycle through those three pillars. Like this week, I'm going to do a post on your book this next week, your voice, then your audience and some kind of a, an encouragement and then a question for them to engage. That was Monday. And then on Friday we would do the weekly check-in and every week was the same three questions. We would, it was a zoom call, you know, we would, get 10 to 15 minutes at the start where I would lead them through the three questions in their journal. And then the rest of the hour was just them sharing what came up for them. And it usually was questions that were helping them notice, like, how am I growing as an author? Um, what am I celebrating right now? What am I struggling with? I think those were the three questions, actually. <laughs> and so from that, that is what helped me realize, dang, this Friday check-in and their experience of each other is like the thing for them. Like the book is happening. Yes. But it's almost like sometimes I would feel like, do you even need me here? Cause you like, <laughs> you guys all just love being together so much and their, their friendships were binding so tight. And so when I started the lighthouse again, just like paying such close attention to what was working in the book Wifery community was okay. It seems to be that when they get together, they bond, they cannot see their life without this community. And so we started incorporating gatherings regularly. And, you know, so I, you know, I incorporated things that I learned from the community design masterclass with Gina, like she talks about knowing your big purpose, having monthly themes, having a weekly editorial calendar, and daily actions that you like them to take. And I went into that for like this first six months. But 
it was just okay. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't until this past January that we started doing more things like quarterly virtual retreat days, weekly examine groups, which is like a group of six mm -hmm. to 10 people that you journey with every week. Again, it's like, it's, they usually meet on Monday. They have the same set of questions every time. They're with the same group every time and they just bond. Um, and so it's just like, and, and now actually, because the community has been asking for it, we're going to be starting in January, something I'm calling Sophia circles, which is like four people that do discernment work together, like for maybe they commit for like a quarter and they meet you know, for certain, I'm still like working out the plan for it, but they were basically saying like, I love my examine group and I love our other th gatherings that we have in the community throughout the month. And I love the quarterly retreat days, but I need something that's going to be like space held just for me. That helps me move forward in the things I'm called to do the light I'm being invited to bring into the world in this contemplative discernment way. And so I'm like, okay, this is going to be called Sophia circles. And so it's like, there's these layers to the community that based on what level of con connection and involvement you want, go deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, you can be part of the main community. You can come to our regular gatherings as a large community. You can be part of an examine group, or now you can be part of these Sophia circles. And it's like, I'm finding the more that people go into that core, the more like fierce they are about the community, the more of a leader they are in the community. Like it's a part of their life. And so my challenge now is figuring out how to translate that for the onboarding process or the invitation process mm -hmm. for people to join the community of like, there's these different levels at which you can engage. What is it that you're looking for? <laughs> you know, cause your experience of the community is going to depend on how much you talk a lot in the what works network of your, you and your team about you get out of it, what you put into it. And mm -hmm. I guess that's a similar thing. You know, the more you want to connect to these deeper layers, the more deep your experience will be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of the questions that we are always asking ourselves at What Works is how do we train up leaders and how do we create really amazing citizens of the What Works mm -hmm. network, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we think of it as sort of like a citizenship model, what is it? You know, we know some of the things that makes people really good um, citizens of our country, our local communities, what, you know, those kinds of groups, what is a really good what works citizen? And what mm. are the different actions and behaviors that we can um, coach and encourage that help people become better citizens? Because when they become better citizens, they they get more out of it, right? It's also good for us. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Really good for them too. And so that's what kind of what I'm hearing you say as well is, well, and you said specifically, it's like, how can I help these people become leaders in this community? And I love that. I want to ask specifically about the gatherings and the events that you're doing one of the the things that I have noticed personally and that I have also observed, especially moving from a program-based model into a, a truly community-based model, is that we are we tend toward, or many of us tend toward being over-deliverers, which makes us tends to make us um over we over facilitate, right? Like we try and do too much in an event or in a gathering where often we're better off like sitting on our hands and maybe muting our microphones. And I'm curious what your experience is with that. And if that's something that you've had to learn to do differently over time. Very much. Um, so I think this is where, like I said that the the thing that happened at Book Wifery where they were like loving the community, maybe even more than the program was super humbling because I'm like, 
but this program is really good. <laughs> and so, and, and but for that, for me to realize that the value, there was so much value, not that there wasn't value in the program, but just there was so much value in what they could get from each other was a huge learning for me. And that is one that I take into the to Lighthouse experience now where for example, the first retreat day I did, what the, we do them quarterly, was in January of this year. And there was a couple times during the day where I put them in breakout rooms and they got to kind of chat about something we had just done, you know, groups of three or four. And then when they came back, you know, we, we like kind of debriefed as a group. And at the end of the day, what I was hearing was, oh my gosh, those breakout rooms, were that breakout part was the best part. Can we have more of that? Can we have more time for that? And I'm like, Oh, because you know, if you're using breakout rooms in a Zoom, like you as the host are not a part of those things. <laughs> you, know? you have no idea what's going on in there. And you don't, and you're just sitting there by yourself, which is like the antithesis of community. It's like such a weird experience. But, you know, I and I've tried several different things for, for other retreat days we've had since then, some where we you know, didn't have the breakout rooms. And at the end of that, they were like, yeah, we need to bring that back. And so, <laughs> so this last one we did just in October um, was, you know, much more heavy on the breakouts because, you know, they, that's where the value is for them. For a community-based mm -hmm. model, they're there to get like the connection, the community, the input, the companionship, the people witnessing them, you know, and bearing witness to their life or helping them notice things they weren't wouldn't have noticed on their own and i can't do that for everyone and that's a humbling thing you know that was the thing that made me go away from working one-on-one -on -one with authors was like i can't do this for everyone like i i can go deep into those deep places with people that is one of my gifts but i only will have so much impact if i stay in that place and so that's been a huge thing for me with the lighthouse is um having to let go of some of that deep involvement in every member's life um keeping track of all the threads like they do that for each other like i don't i'm not actually being invited to necessarily hold all of that i don't know that i can keep moving the community where it needs to go if i'm trying to keep track of every single thing that's happening in every person's life and like be the one that's there in my spiritual director training that like is helping them uncover their discernment you know it's more about what structures do I need to create? What facilitation am I here to bring um, so that they can be unleashed? Like what, two words I started traveling with at the beginning of last year, I think it was, was equipped and empowered. And that was mm -hmm. for book whiffery. I wanted them to be equipped and empowered so they weren't dependent on me so much. And I'm realizing that's what I want here in the lighthouse too, is for them to just have what they need to be unleashed and do that for one another. And my call is to do something else with them. Yeah. Well, I think you've articulated so well um, something that I have experienced with learning the skill of community building, which is that it's not just a set of skills that you learn how to do, but it shifts your identity and it shifts your role within the yes. group that you are working in. So yes. at, with Book Whiffery, you were in this kind of coach, educator, leader role or or guide role. Guide is a better word than leader there. I mean, not that you weren't leading, but leading pertains to the I other one as well. Yeah. And on the lighthouse side of things, your role becomes facilitator, structure builder, I think is a, yeah. is a huge mm -hmm. one. 
And there's another layer to that, that at least for me, and it sounds like for you too, because you've brought this up a couple of times, that not only does your identity change, but it also requires you to change how you get validation from the process, <laughs> right? Because on the book Wifery side of things, I'm sure you heard all the time, oh my God, this process is amazing. Oh my God, you're so smart. Oh my God, thank you so much for fixing my problem or getting me unstuck. When you yes. are a community builder, you cannot rely on that kind of personal validation, which I really like to get. Um, and instead, <laughs> you have to find validation in people responding to the structure that mm. you are creating and yes. the space that you are holding. Yes. And oh, man, that's a skill in and of itself. It is. Yeah, I really appreciate you drawing that out. And that's, you know, and another piece of it that I'm experiencing, I really appreciate what you said about it it changes, it, it, it works on your own sense of your identity and the value that you bring. I I am not someone who personality wise, this is a way, but I'm probably very different than you. I, I don't enjoy being out in front. Oh, <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and like the, the idea of being a leader of a community freaked me out, scared the hell out of me. I mean, partly because of what I said before about like, I was always a DIYer, a Lone Ranger, like if I need to figure out how to do something, I'm just going to go figure it out and do it. And like get a lot of joy out of like the figuring out and the doing. And so like, <clears throat> needing to have a community around me while I'm doing it, I didn't necessarily need. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece of it where I was like, leading a community felt weird. <laughs> but then the other piece about being a leader is like, you are out in front and you are like, casting the vision and inviting people into it and uh, making sure that the structures in place make sense. But like, you're not experiencing it with them because you're creating it for them. And so it's weird to be like, in some ways, I do feel like the community I'm building at the lighthouse is the community I would want for mm -hmm. myself, like as a contemplative, as someone who's seeking to bring her own light into the world and like create what I'm here to do. Like, as, as a small business owner who wants to be talking about what does this look like to do small business as a contemplative, like the questions are so different than what mainstream like business teaching would, would give us. And it's like the values are often a lot of different. And so I'm like, I just, I want to be having these conversations with other contemplatives. So here's this lighthouse. And it's like, well, it's, it's there, but I'm not a member in the same way they are. And so what I can get out of it is different. So there's some challenge in that for me. Yeah, I completely relate to that. I enjoy using the What Works Network and I do literally use it often. Yes, you, you do. Know, uh -huh. Yeah, I've got I got a question. Let me ask these people that are here to talk about these things. <laughs> so we I do use it and at the same time the higher level stuff that I would love to talk with people about the things that I feel legitimately stuck on the things where I have big open ended questions are not necessarily appropriate for that, that space. Right. So it's, yes. yeah, it is a real juggling act there. Because I, I do think that the best community leaders that I've seen anyway, are folks who are engaged in their community, see themselves as members of their community, and also we have to have boundaries as well. And I think, you know, everyone's boundary is going to be a little bit different. Everyone's way of interfacing with their community is going to be a little different. But it is a strange balancing act for sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll say, you know, coming connecting back to my weirdness um, with the prayer images thing, an image that 
I have been traveling with her probably two years now. Um, I think it might've come before the lighthouse ever did was this, I call it the woman and it's basically my most evolved self. (laughs) Mm. Um, But I am in this desert. I am walking in the desert. Christ is walking with me, but behind us, there's like a whole mass of people and we're like separate from them, but we're leading the charge. And I have been praying with that image because this experience of like, okay, shifting from being a spiritual director, which is one-on-one with someone in their life and their prayer to a book coach that's one-on-one with authors, all in the mix of all the stages of their book birthing, um, to even having a small community at Bookwifery that I was kind of nurturing and being really close and involved in all of the different books that were happening and their journeys, like to shifting to a community where I'm... called to lead them somewhere. It's just such a different stance that it has felt very lonely at times. Um, It has felt like because I'm not someone who's comfortable being out in front, I want to keep like turning around and making sure they're really close and like going and getting inside the crowd. (laughs) That's not my call. And so, um, yeah, I think it's just, there's this interesting tension between you're leading this community that is like the same identity as you. Like they're, they're all contemplatives. They're all wanting to bring their light to the world too. They are totally happy for me to ask my questions. Um, but I'm not going to experience it in the same way they are. Like I have to be a gatherer. That's another piece of this mm-hmm. of like what it means to be a community leader is being the vision caster, the structure builder, but also the gatherer of all the people that aren't here yet that are going to go join that crowd. Um, so that they can be close to each other and engaged and in community with each other and connection. And I'm still like out there as a scout. And so it's just, it's just been a huge learning curve for me to not be so close. I still feel really close, but I know that the more the community grows, I'm going to be less and less close. And to know that that that's like my job, (laughs) you know, is to be out there in front. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Um, Okay, we've talked about a lot of different things, it sounds like that have kind of surprised you on this journey to learn the skill of community building. But I'm curious if there is anything that comes to mind that surprised you that we haven't talked about yet. Yes. Um, I think this, this idea of shared leadership is something I'd love to just touch on a little Mm. bit more. Um, Because even though I'm the leader and I'm out there in front and I'm doing the scouting and the visioning and creating the structures, I, as the community grows, especially, I know I can't be the one holding the space for everyone. I mean, at a certain, in a certain sense I am, but realizing I'm going to need others in the community who help to facilitate the current structures that are there. Like right now I'm, I'm facilitating the examine groups. I'm the one leading the virtual retreat days every quarter. Um, I'm the one kind of leading the other gatherings we have on zoom throughout the month where we have conversations about different things. And, and so like just starting to, I think actually it was, um, you have often shared, um, about, what is it? White supremacy culture and organizations by mm-hmm. Tima Okun, I think is uh-huh. the name. I might say it wrong, but I think you got um, Yeah. So reading that PDF again recently and just the idea of power dynamics in an organization and like shared leadership, um, I really started thinking like, oh, how do I incorporate shared leadership in this community? Not just because like logistically it makes sense the more the community grows, but as a value that and and I think even having some conversations with some other contemplative leaders that are good friends of mine talking about contemplative leadership really exists around a round table where everyone is 
kind of equal with one another and we we gain wisdom from one another. It's not someone in a hierarchical stance saying this is what you need to learn. Um, and so, you know, one of the, th the things we do every month is called a glow up. And this is specifically members of the community saying, I want to lead a glow up on a particular topic, an area of expertise, something I'm trained in, something I just have a deep passion about. I want to bring that to the community. And I don't lead the glow ups. Like I, I facilitate the space. Like I, I hold, you know, I provide the technology <laughs> and then I like introduce the person and then they take the hour. And so loving the experience of sharing the leadership with people every month who want to lead the community in some way. We also have now been doing these regular um, conversations about different topics that matter to us as contemplative women. So um, like last, a couple of weeks ago, we did a conversation about lament. Um, mm -hmm. Yesterday, we did a conversation about like what's called chronos time and kairos time, like chronological time. And then kairos time is like the fullness of time or like things happening at the right time. And like, what's our relationship to time as contemplative women? <laughs> anyway, um, and then in a couple of weeks, we're gonna be doing one about the contemplative wild woman. And so, what I'm doing now with those is tapping two or three people on the shoulder in the community to say, I know you might have some thoughts about this or some experience with this. Would you come to the conversation prepared to like help lead us off? And um, yeah, and then thinking about who would be people who could lead examine groups in the future or Sophia circles when I'm no longer the one holding those spaces. And so I'm getting a lot of joy out of that. That has surprised me. It has surprised me that 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 is being invited of me as a leader is to share the leadership. Mm -hmm. But I'm also loving that, that I enjoy sharing it. I love seeing them shine. I love them like bringing their gifts to the community. Um, two of the members just a couple weeks ago approached me and said, Hey, there is a gap in the community for social connection. Cause like we're so mm -hmm. deep, deep all the time. <laughs> we're just like talking about contemplative stands and prayer and our light in the world. And they're like, we just want some social engagement. Can we start a book club? And I'm like, okay, well, what would you want that to look like? And so they went away and they like made a little proposal and then, you know, and so just this week we introduced the Light Bearers Book Club and they're totally running with it. And it's just like, it's just cool to see like these different skills that are being invited of me that I never would have thought would be part of my life. And now my whole community, my whole business is built on this model. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so we need yeah. to start wrapping things up. Um, but I know that our listeners will be upset with me if I don't ask you about um, the marketing side. But I want to no, ask you about no. it from the standpoint that you said it's my job to be the gatherer. And you use the word scout, which I freaking love. So for you, what are you doing right now to be scouting for and gathering new members of the community? Thank you for that. It's a very timely question because this whole naming of contemplative women is only about a month old. Mm. So I talked about how like when we first started the lighthouse, we we're figuring out like, who is this for and what are we doing together? It's taken me 15 months to figure out that it's for contemplative women. You know, it's not just if you bear light in the world and that idea resonates with you, but it's that you wanna do that in a contemplative way. You wanna use discernment, you know, all these different rituals and practices and postures. Um, and so I feel like the community has been growing slowly over the last 15 months, mostly by word of mouth of them inviting their friends or people connected to me on Instagram who know that I live this way. <laughs> but this quarter, one of my major commitments is to serve the future community by doing that scouting and that gathering. And so now it's the marketing just now starting in October, going through December before our next enrollment period for January is going to be about like seeking out 
contemplative spaces where those voices are already and conversations are already happening so that folks even know the lighthouse exists exists um i just re rebranded my newsletter to be called a contemplative light to specify that that's who this is for and writing about what does it mean to be a contemplative in this in the world right now in this 2020 year and everything that will follow um and so i think it's about having clarified who this is for and now going and seeking out those spaces and connecting with folks in those places. I haven't been intentional about that this past year at all. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, I have oh, so many things to, to say as a follow up to that. Uh, <laughs> I think to me, a big part of the skill of community building is the skill of creating a sense of belonging. And it's to me, it's the like the hardest part. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you, you know, you talking about naming that this is a community for contemplative women is like just being able to name this is who this is for. This is how to know if that's who you are, because so many of us don't know like what those what that full expression yeah. of our identity is or that mm -hmm. facet of our identity. So I think that's huge. Um, I also want to reiterate what you said. You said this quarter, my commitment is, is to serve the future community. And I love that framing the future community needs you to go out and gather mm -hmm. more members, to mm -hmm. gather new members, mm -hmm. to, to bring the right people in. Uh, and I think that as community builders, it can be so hard to balance nurturing the community you have versus knowing, okay, well, the business needs me to find new people. It's not just the business that needs you to find new people, right? It's the community mm. needs you to yes. find new people too. Oh, so yeah. important. And so I just, oh my God, I so appreciate you framing it that way and sharing it that way. And I just want everyone to take that away. Um, okay. <laughs> Christiane, what are you excited about right now? Okay. I knew you were going to ask me this question. I have two <laughs> things. One of which I already named is the contempt a contemplative light newsletter that I just rebranded and restarted this week. I've been trying for months to restart my newsletter. <laughs> I finally started it. So I'm excited to like now dig into a newsletter called a contemplative light. And then the other thing is I need to rebuild my website that to reflect what the lighthouse is. Cause right now, I've got christiansquires.com that has just been like doing pretty much nothing um, because I've been in business transition from bookwifery to this and figuring out who it's for and what we're here to do. And now that it's like clear, now I feel like I can rebuild the website presence so that people know that this is for them. Right now, the website doesn't reflect that. So my hope is that by the time this episode comes out, if people do go to christiansquires.com, they'll see that it reflects the lighthouse because <laughs> right now it doesn't. <laughs> well, awesome. You've got about a month. <laughs> yeah. And I, I enjoy the creative process of that. I think what, what stalled me out was just like, I was still trying to figure out really who is this is for and what we're here to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good job. Good on you for bringing it back to where we started. And Christiane and Squires, thank you so much for sharing your journey to learn the skill of community building and how it's shaping your business and how it's shaping your personal identity. So much good stuff. I'm so excited about this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. It's been a joy. Different types of businesses require different types of skills. It might sound obvious, but it's easy to overlook. What special skills does your business model require? And have you invested in honing the craft of actually operating your business? Often, this isn't the kind of learning you do in a course or even from a book. Like Christiane shared, sometimes the best way to learn is by immersing yourself in the way other people do it. 
You could hire them, mastermind with them, or meet up with them to trade notes. It might cost you money or it might cost you time. Either way, honing the skills you use to actually operate your business is a sound investment. Find out more about Christiane Squires and The Lighthouse at ChristianeSquires.com. Next week, I talk with Dana Kay and Felton Kaiser about what they had to learn to launch a new-to-them business, a stock photography site on a mission to change the face of stock photography. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our production assistants are Kristen Runbick and Lou Blazer. Get more of What Works delivered to your inbox every Thursday. Get a letter from me, plus my top picks on building a stronger business and becoming a stronger leader. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash weekly. That's explorewhatworks.com slash weekly weekly.